scripture for us this morning. I certainly appreciated it. This is Labor Day Sunday, and it's this transitional sort of week between the summer and all the busyness that the fall will mean for so many of us. And so we'll take this week before we dive into the fall as a church and our vision series and, and the preaching and the work that we'll do throughout the rest of the year. Um, just to sit and think about work, think about labor. When I was in my undergrad, I had a summer job. And I worked for this summer as a community gardens coordinator. I think I've shared with some of you before the great irony of one who at the time ate no vegetables being responsible for growing these vegetable gardens. I suppose there was no concern that I would eat the profits. Now, I would like to assure you that I have reformed somewhat since then, and various people would dispute to what degree I've actually reformed. But something I realized in the summer of trying to instigate little neighborhood garden plots through throughout the downtown port of Windsor in city parks and public housing developments and beside the mission in downtown was that very few people are interested in the work of gardening. There were lots of people who were interested in the end results of a garden, the produce, but few who were interested in the labor and the toil of building garden beds, of breaking up the ground, of pruning and tying up, of weeding and watering. People were keen on the idea of a garden, keen on the fruit that it might bear. But the planting, tending, the work that hurt with no obvious guarantee of return, not so interested. Now, I have to say that no obvious return might have been a better result than the reality of what came out of that summer and that experience of these particular gardens. Because at the end of a hard summer of all the toil and labor that went into five different garden sites throughout the downtown core, we were left at the end, not with some bounty of cucumber and peppers, not with tomatoes and carrots, radishes and lettuce, no. We were left with bushels of eggplant. Eggplant that nobody wanted to eat. Of all the work, the thing that survived, that thrived the most under my hand and care, was eggplant that nobody wanted. Nobody could even imagine the use for all of this eggplant. It was an undesired harvest that took so much work to get to, and it formed little community along the way, not even at the end to enjoy its fruits. Now, I'm glad to say that those community gardens have flourished in the years since I've stopped coordinating them, and maybe my hard work set the ground for future fruitfulness. But this seems like so much of our work, doesn't it? Toiling and laboring. Spending ourselves for an end which cannot be fully known. We are just across the street from one of the premier institutions of education and research in the world. And this fall, countless students will begin the labor of study, of pursuing some degree. Now, a degree is also something that people get excited about. But the work that goes into a degree, 
the late nights of study, the soul-crushing midterms, the heart drop when you finally see that your end-of-term grades have been posted, and worse yet, the thorns of isolation, of loneliness, the fear of failure, the arduous, laborious process it takes to graduate, and whose fruit is yet unknown. Is there the job of one's dreams at the end of this degree? Or will there only be bushels of eggplants? Likewise, many of us labor in offices, eyes tearing up, staring at Excel spreadsheets. To what purpose? To what end? With what goal? Is it simply for the paycheck? Is there some fruit of an accurate actuarial table of perfectly analyzed data which will make our hearts sing should we only last until the next quarter's end? Many others of us labor in the ever-elusive pursuit of a clean home. But it seems whether we live alone or with a spouse or with four children, for all of the work of cleaning, washing, and laundering, there is never a moment to enjoy the sought-after goal of clean. Is this how our work ought to be? This seems like a grim way to imagine something which, whether paid or unpaid, occupies so many of our waking hours. I think that this question is actually one of the questions that is intended to be answered in that creation story we heard from Genesis 2 and 3. Why is work not just work, but toil? Why do the things which ought to bring us so much joy often bring us misery before even the chance of joy? So what we heard in that story that we just heard bits and pieces of was that God created the world, and he called it good. Then he created people, and he called us very good. And he placed humanity, he placed people in the world that he created, in this garden that he had planted. And he gave it to us to care for it. The work of creation was done, but the work of cultivation was just beginning. God desired to work with us to draw out the full beauty of all creation, to tend to the garden, to see it mature and take shape. But humanity turned away from God. And with that came consequences. That which had been under our care, which was meant to prosper by the work of our hands, had become harmed by our poor decisions, by our bad stewardship. The ground itself was cursed, not because of God, because of us. We could no longer go about leisurely eating fruit from any tree in the garden. Rather, now painful toil would be needed to eat food. In the ground, it would fight back against us. Once harmed, now it would grow thorns and thistles to protect itself. It would be trying to defend itself from our uncaring hands. It would now only be by sweat that we would gain what we need from it. No longer only work with purpose and fruitfulness in partnership.
partnership with God to see the full flourishing of all creation, but now toilsome labor that comes with risks and dangers, with no guarantee of success, by the sweat of our brow and not by the grace of God, who we had turned from. The labor and the toil, the frustrations which we know now, were not how life was intended to be. And so this, there is this tremendous paradox of work in our lives as we experience it. There's the truth that fruitful work is a blessing, a good gift from God given to us, good and good for us. And yet, it's also true that so much of our work is not fruitful, but rather our work is now contending with thorns and sweating over no return for our labor. And it is in this very paradox of work, blessing and curse, that the teacher from Ecclesiastes is pointing to as he writes. In fact, he takes it a step further. He realizes that even fruitful work, a productive life of toil, he has now grown to hate. Because he has realized that even all the productivity in the world, all the benefits of work that actually flourishes, will ultimately be lost. No matter what, when we each meet our end, then everything we labored for is for somebody else who will do with it whatever they want, who may not appreciate what it actually means, who may not steward it well at all. This also is meaningless, the teacher says. This is vapor. The word he uses means breath. It's a chasing after wind. It's meaningless to only define ourselves by the success and the fruitfulness of our work. Because even the successful will be made fools in the end. Because no matter our success, no matter what we accomplish with our work and all of our labors, what the psalmist wrote is true of us all. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower in the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place knows it no more. After a recent funeral, as we were driving to the cemetery, I noticed the big old mausoleums. And I asked the funeral director if anybody actually built those anymore. Are there new mausoleums being built in our cemeteries? And to my surprise, he shared that they sometimes do. And that it is always just to show off their wealth, to ensure that they're remembered. Vanity, a chasing after wind. Even these people will in time be remembered no it might sound like I've only gone from bad news to worse news so far. Not only is there thorny toil in life, but even the work that seems to be good and fruitful and meaningful is meaningless, the teacher says. So at this point, you might understand the despair which the teacher's heart sank to as he considered all his toils under the sun. Well, we don't know who this teacher Ecclesiastes is. Many believe that it's actually King Solomon who pursued wisdom earnestly, and his wisdom brought justice and peace to his people 
and he ruled over a kingdom and a government that prospered greatly. Yet he says his heart despairs because all that he toiled for could be lost in a moment. Some commentators on this passage remark then it might not actually be fair to translate this verse as the teacher truly despairing, as we understand despair. But rather, we should read this as that he was disillusioned. He saw through the lures and the temptations. He saw through that great temptation to judge the worth and value of life by achievement, by productivity, by accomplishment. He could not justify his toil by lasting benefit because no lasting benefit could be assured. He would no longer subscribe to the fairy tale that kept him toiling in vain, always pursuing the next goal, the next result, the greater achievement. And maybe that's not you. Maybe that doesn't resonate with you at all. Maybe you've never found meaning in your work find yourself by your accomplishments. But even if that's not a temptation you know personally, it is the reality for so many of our friends and our neighbors. It's the truth in this city that we're called to love and to serve. If you ask people about themselves, the first thing you're going to hear about is their work. It shapes so much of our living. And he turns aside from it all. All this toiling, all this sweating, this rat race, the teacher rejects. Because it's not lasting or nearly as important as we've convinced ourselves that it is. Monuments of memos built to our own remembrance. But one day, even the place of our toil will remember us no more. But then, then the passage turns. It turns from despair or disillusionment to this glimmer of hope. Disillusionment piercing through the veil to find enlightenment. The teacher now proclaims a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? It's not about the legacy. It's not about the reward. It's not about the results or the success. It isn't even about the fruit which we trust by faith one day will be assured, but we may never see, or the fruit that we think will last may rot. It's actually just about enjoying the work itself. It's difficult to just enjoy the work. It's about learning to love the process of tending and caring and to allow God to do the work of providing growth and fruit. It's about learning to love the opportunity to care for and to serve others without the need to be validated by them or to be noted as a cut above the rest. The teacher says that we can find satisfaction in toil, 
and that this satisfaction comes only from the hand of God. The hand of God, which once cursed us with toil for rejecting his provision, is now actually turned to us in blessing, if only we would seek it that we might truly find goodness in the work and humility to trust him for everything else again. No longer looking to pluck fruit for our own enjoyment, to achieve goals for our own vanity, but simply to labor faithfully and to find satisfaction in that. To eat and to drink and to find enjoyment by the very hand of God. To do faithful work is a central call of the Christian life, that our whole lives would be acts of worship. Whether we're in school or we're working retail, whether we're doing something in an office or doing something in a lab, we share that common human purpose of participating in God's work, of drawing out and seeking the full flourishing of all creation. And working alongside God, our Maker, is an act of worship which defines everything we do. That's why in October we're going to take some time to develop theological imaginations together about faith and work, about how these two things that should shape and form our lives are more connected than I think most of us imagine they are. We'll be exploring together how different kinds of work can be joining in the work of God's kingdom. How it can be toil that we can find satisfaction in, even if we never see the fruit. That we might begin to see our work as a gift from the hand of God, rather than a thorny curse of sweaty labor. And I need your help to preach that series well, to make it as relevant to our community as possible. So if you have an idea for a type of work, a specific job even, whether it's paid or unpaid, that you'd love to hear preached about, imagined alongside of God's kingdom in this series, something maybe that you've struggled to imagine as work that can satisfy in your walk in following Jesus. Maybe you're a parent and you can ask your kids, what would they like to hear preached about? What job do they struggle to imagine how God can use in the world? I want you to let me know. And there's a simple way to let me know if you have some ideas. There's a Google form for feedback. And um, actually, if you're here, if you're at home, you can click this link, type this link into your phone right now. I actually do want these forms. We put forms out and people never respond. It's going to be a tough series if nobody responds. So please, use this form. Uh, even right after the service, send in some suggestions if you have some. And I'll use those suggestions to craft the sermon series for later this fall. So today was a little bit of a teaser, uh, an underpinning for some work we'll do later in the season. But for now, remember the wisdom of the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Our work is not for ourselves. If it is for ourselves, if it's for our wealth, if it's for our glory, then it's meaningless. It's a chasing after wind, even if it seems as though we're finding success in it. Rather, if our work is from the hand of God, if we find satisfaction in it, the 
recognize that it does not define us, that it cannot ever fulfill us, that it cannot provide for us or meet all of our needs, that God, our maker, is the one who continues to satisfy us, then this is the way of wisdom, of knowledge, and of happiness. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We like to leave some space for reflection. So maybe you can reflect on a job or profession, an occupation that you'd like preached on and submit that Google form right now. Uh, but we also have some reflection questions for you to pray about as well. The first is just simply being honest with yourself. Are you tempted to allow your work or even your lack of work to define you? And secondly, what opportunities do you have to find some satisfaction even in the toil that you do? And thirdly, an invitation for you to pray that God would help you to accept from his hand the good gift of eating, drinking, and finding enjoyment. I'll give you a couple of minutes to reflect, to pray, to journal if you're at home and you get to discuss.